The last few sessions we have spent in Hebrews, we have seen uh, Christ being compared to Moses. And then last week we talked about the response to the message of Moses and the response to the message of Christ. And we compared and looked at those. And today we're going to focus in on one of the offices of Christ, the fact that he is our great high priest, very important and profound subject and one that uh, I think is a perfect lead-in to our time at the Lord's table. So without further ado, let us hear God's word, Hebrews 4.14. We're going to read down through 5.10. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. If I told you that I needed someone to represent me, everyone here would undoubtedly point me to a lawyer. We live in such a litigious society, we are used to hearing this type of language, the language of, of law courts and lawsuits. Now, if I decided to uh, go to court and represent myself, that would be a fool's errand because I know nothing about the law or how a courtroom works and I would certainly lose my case whether I had a good case or not. When you go to court, you usually need a lawyer to represent you. We understand this. Now when you stand before God, the same is true. You need representation. Only, you don't need a lawyer before God. What you need is a priest. A priest. And that's what we're talking about today. A, the great high priest. What's a priest? A priest is someone who represents you before God and who offers various sacrifices required by God. When you search the Bible and look up the word uh, priest, the first time you encounter the term is early in Genesis. In Genesis 14, we're introduced to a fellow named Melchizedek. He's mentioned here in the passage we just read. 
He is described as a priest of the Most High God. We don't really find out much about him until we get to Hebrews. And Hebrews 5 and then in chapter 7 he's going to discuss him further. Exodus, where we begin to get our understanding of the function of priests within the Judeo-Christian belief system. That's when Moses received the law and all the details that go along with the priesthood and the sacrificial system. Priests in the Bible had those two functions. They represented the people before God and they offered the various sacrifices to God that were prescribed by the Mosaic law. Now before God gave his law to Moses, there was not an official priesthood but the head of each family uh, would represent his family before God. When Moses received the law, there were elaborate prescriptions that, uh, that were uh, laid out pertaining to the duties of the priests. Now there was one tribe of Israel, the Levites, who were designated to be priests, designated solely to be to the priesthood. One of the reasons was that they needed a lot of priests because there was a lot of sacrifices that had to be made that were prescribed by the Mosaic Law. They had daily sacrifices, weekly sacrifices, monthly sacrifices, and a yearly sacrifice. The Levites spent all their time making all kinds of different sacrifices on behalf of God's people. It was really a very big job. Now, one priest out of all the priests uh, of the Levites was designated the high priest. And that's what's being referred to here in this passage. Jesus is the great high priest. Now, the high priest in the Levitical priesthood was a special office. To him alone, it was permitted to enter the Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies was the very central part of the temple. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the, the priest would go into that, that uh, veiled off section where the Ark of the Covenant was. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, he would go in, uh, he would take off his beautiful uh, priestly vestments, he would, he would uh, lay them aside to where he was only wearing linen garments, and he alone would enter the Holy of Holies, and there he would make expiation for the sins of the people. He would sprinkle the blood of the sin offering on the mercy seat, which was the cover of the, the Ark of the Covenant. It was a covering that had two cherubim on it. And he would sprinkle the blood there and provide atonement for the people. And then he would resume his splendid robes and he would reappear before the people. You can read about this in Exodus and Leviticus and other places. All these detailed laws about sacrifices and priests were really just a shadow of the reality that was to come. Verse 14 says, We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. You think about a tree. A tree, a tree has a shadow, and you can learn something about the tree from the shadow. But the shadow isn't the tree, of course. The tree is the reality. The shadow is just an impression now, you won't really understand a tree from the shadow, but you can understand the shadow by studying the tree. You understand that it is a tree that is indeed making this shadow and the shape of it and so forth. And the shadow makes sense when you see the tree. In the same way, the Old Testament priesthood and sacrifices were just a, an impression, 
uh, a precursor, uh, a reflection. Jesus Christ is the reality. We can learn about Christ by looking at the priesthood, but only so much. When we look at Christ, we understand more clearly what the sacrifices and priests were indicating because he is the reality. He is the once and for all sacrifice. He is the great high priest that these things were pointing towards. He is the ultimate representative before God, the Father, and he has made the ultimate sacrifice for his people, thus fulfilling the two functions of a priest. He represented uh, his people before God, and he atoned for sin. He provided the, the atonement needed, the blood sacrifice. He himself was that blood sacrifice. He himself is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The people to whom the writer of Hebrews is writing, they were uh, good Hebrew people in that they knew that they needed a priest. They assumed that, and the writer of Hebrews is working off that assumption. Their problem was that they were be, uh, being tempted to reject Jesus, the great high priest, and they wanted to go back to the old Mosaic Levitical priesthood. They were going back to the shadow instead of the reality. And the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them not to lose their faith in Christ, not to turn back, not to, to stop following Jesus. Now, our mindset in our culture is a bit different. We do not have an assumption that we need a priest. Rather, we are more likely in our culture to reject the idea of needing a priest at all. People in our culture feel that they are competent to represent themselves before God. How many people have that mindset? Maybe some of you today have this mindset. That when you stand before the judgment seat of God, you can make your own argument and say, well, I was a good person. You should let me in to heaven. In essence, they're representing themselves before God and are thinking that their good deeds will atone for their bad ones. Now, this is more foolish than me representing myself in a court of law. I have no legal training, no knowledge of how the court system works. If I went in and represented myself, it would be a disaster. And the same is true for anyone who goes before God and says, I'm going to represent myself and I'm going to plead my own goodness to the Lord so that he'll let me into heaven. You will not be successful at that. The Bible tells us, 1 Timothy 2, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You need representation before a holy God. And the premise today is that Jesus Christ is the only representation that is worth having. It is the only representation that will be successful. It is the only representation because he is the ultimate, final, high priest. And the text before us tells us why he should be our representative. And I've got three reasons that I'm drawing from the text. And these are the three. Number one, he passed through the heavens. Number two, he is able to sympathize. And number three, 
He is called and prepared by God. I want you to think about these things as you think about Jesus Christ and how much you need to be represented by someone before God and how he is uniquely qualified to be your representative. Now, first of all, he passed through the heavens. It tells us there in uh, the first verse that we read. He has... He is the great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He's gone through the heavenly regions. He has risen to the preeminent spot. He is transcendent. In chapter 7 of Hebrews, the writer says, It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Think about the, the Old Testament priesthood. They went into the Holy of Holies one time a year. And they spent a few minutes in there before God on behalf of the people. They sprinkled the blood of sacrifice, burned some incense, and then they resumed their robes and went back out. And they actually, at some point, had tied a rope to the leg of the priest when he went in in case he didn't come out because no one could go in there. It was not permitted. And if he was struck down in God's presence or something happened there, they could get him out without having to go in there. It was a very solemn, very holy moment when he went in there, but it was just a, a few minutes. You'll notice after Jesus died, that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from, from the rest of the temple was torn in two so that anybody could see in there. Anyone could go in there. And the reason it was torn was because Christ was that final sacrifice. There was no need to keep up the sacrifices. There was no more need for uh, any other priest to go and do any of this because he had done it all. It was done. Now you think about that priest going into the Holy of Holies once a year for a few minutes every year. Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father the spotless, perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world ever sits at the right hand of the Father. The sacrifice for sin is always before the Father. The sacrifice for sin on our behalf is always there. We just sang about it in, those, uh, in the hymn, the first hymn. Arise, my soul, arise, shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands, and my name is written on his hand. See, he is representing us there constantly at the right hand of the Father. Not just once a year. The song we sang goes on. He ever lives above for me to intercede. When you sang that, did it not fill your soul with joy? Maybe we ought to sing it again. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead, his blood for sin did once atone, and now it pleads before the throne, constantly. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransom sinner die. That's much better than once a year for a few minutes with some blood of bulls and goats. The precious blood of the Lamb is always there before the Father. And He is there and He always lives to intercede for His people, which we sang in that second song. Before the throne of God, I have a strong and perfect plea. 
a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. See, my life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ, my Savior and my God. He has passed through the heavens. He's far superior to any other priesthood and he's far superior to representing ourselves before the Father. Secondly, not only has he passed through the heavens, but he is able to sympathize. God the Son took on human flesh and walked among us. Verse 15 says... We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He came to earth as a human being. He was tempted just as we are. Now we might object and say, well, he was God. He didn't have our sin nature. And therefore it was easy for him. Well, I'll just point point you to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus sweat drops of blood resisting the temptation to turn away from the Father's will. So we have someone at the right hand of the Father interceding for us who knows exactly what we are going through. With him as our high priest helping us, surely we can hold fast our confession as it commands us to do here. And that's why the writer encourages us with verse 16. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He describes the high priest as someone who can sympathize with the people. Christ can sympathize with us and with all that we went through. And he has overcome because he never succumbed to the temptations that he faced. He knows what it's like to be human. He's walked in our shoes. He has experienced all the pains of living in this world. And we can confidently draw near to him because he wants to give us mercy and grace in our time of need. That's the kind of advocate we need. One who will sympathize with us. No one else will do that. Thirdly, Jesus is called and prepared by God. Verse 4, the the next chapter. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110 that he's quoting there. The the question might arise in the, the, the minds of his readers, Well, Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. He was not of the tribe of Levi, so how can he be a high priest? And so the writer of Hebrews is going back even further. And he's going to develop this idea later in chapter 7, but he's he's of the priesthood of Melchizedek, who was a very mysterious character in the Bible. So he is called by God, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So he is called... Uh, to be a high priest by God. That's very important. He is not someone who just accidentally fell into the role. He came and did it on purpose. It was his mission. 
He came to do the Father's will. He was appointed by the Father to come and be our great high priest so that we would have a representative, a mediator between ourselves and God. And verse 7 talks about his preparation, how he became this great high priest that he was called to be. In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers, supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Now that word is a, a broad word. It, it means fear. It can also mean nervousness, it, it, circumspection. It's, it's a picture of someone who is scrupulously regarding what is right. It's someone who is walking very, very carefully. And that certainly describes Jesus. Every moment of every day of his life on earth, he perfectly obeyed the Father. There was no moment where he did not love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, nor was there a time when he did not love his neighbor as himself. Continuously, thought, word, and deed, and every intention of his heart was always sinless all the time. So he could be the one who was heard by God because he is perfect. God can accept his prayer. We can't just decide to walk up to God and pray on our own, based on our own merit. He won't listen to us because we're not qualified. We're imperfect. And that's when we pray in Jesus' name. We pray not because of our own merit, because of his. We come boldly before the throne of grace because he is our representative. And then it goes on to say, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, that does not mean that he was disobedient and had to be corrected and learned obedience. It means that he learned obedience in the sense that he went through his entire life and every hurdle, every temptation... Uh, every opportunity he had to be disobedient, he met that and he was obedient. So his life was one of a complete experience of obedience. So at the end of it, he could say that he's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He had the full experience of a lifetime of obedience. And that's what it means when he learned obedience through what he suffered. He could have turned away through what he suffered, but he didn't, all the way to the end. Even while he was hanging on the cross, he was obedient to the Father, to the very last moment when he yielded up his spirit and breathed his last. And verse 9 says, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Not that he was imperfect. The word there means complete or full, or finished. So his entire life was a work. And when he finished it all, when he breathed his last, it was complete. Everything was perfect. He did it all completely and perfectly. A perfect high priest, the perfect Lamb of God. Complete, perfect completely and totally right. And that is why he is the source of eternal salvation to all 
who obey him, who hear him, who listen to him, who turn from their sins and turn to him and find grace and mercy in their time of need. Now sometimes people mistakenly call me a priest. Uh, I guess we live in a Catholic culture and people who don't go to church, they'll say, oh, he's a priest. And I'll say, no, I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor or preacher or whatever, whatever it is that I am. Um, sometimes people call me a priest and there are people in our culture who are called priests, but there's no need for any other priest but Jesus. He's the only priest that we need. He is the great high priest, the Son of God, who has passed through this, the heavens. So I want to encourage you today, don't presume to represent yourselves before God when you've got this great high priest who is inviting us to come to him with all of our burdens as we're heavy laden and he will give us rest for our souls. He will free our burdens. He will cleanse our souls. He will give us grace and mercy and help in our time of need. Call on him. Cry out to him. Turn from sin and turn to him and have him as your great high priest. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ and for what he has done for us and accomplished for sinners such as we are. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for our presumption that we like to think of ourselves better than we are. Lord, we pray that all of us would find ourselves completely dependent upon you, upon the provision that you have made in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we come to the table, may, it, may what we have heard today, this good news of salvation, be further impressed upon us at the table in the bread and the wine. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.